0: everyone, I'm Katie Dawson and welcome to Super Creative, a podcast that delivers candid conversations with inspiring women who are thriving in business. In today's episode, I'm speaking to the very creative Ella Drake, founder and creative director of Monarch Jewellery. Beautifully created by Master Goldsmiths, luxurious and practical enough to be worn every day, Monarch jewellery has an emphasis on craftsmanship, premium materials and bespoke service. Its objective is to create modern, timeless jewellery to be worn now and passed on to future generations. Ella is my first guest that isn't actually based in New Zealand. She's a Kiwi, but she's based in London, which is where she created and launched her beautiful brand. To me, Ella's story is very glamorous. It takes us from New Zealand to Milan, Sydney, and now London. But it's also a story about finding a passion, studying and learning a craft, and building a business with strategy, drive, and sustainability as a focus. I stayed up late to talk to Ella and it was so worth it. I loved hearing about her background, her love for fine jewellery, and I actually learned so much about diamonds and sustainability and all that kind of thing. I hope you enjoy our chat as much as I did. Hi Ella and welcome to my podcast. Hi Katie. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for being up early. I think you're probably up early-ish anyway, but... Um, The time difference bearing with me working out dates. I really appreciate it. I start off all of my podcasts the same, and you've probably heard. I just like you to describe who you are and what you do. Sure. So, my name's
1: Ella Drake. Um, I'm the founder of a jewelry business called Monarch. I am a New Zealander, originally from the Mount, and I'm living in London now. So, I've been living here for the past eight years. Um, Monarch Jewellery is a demi-fine fine jewellery brand that I began in 2017 so what's that just over four years Um, yeah in a nutshell that's me.
0: (laughs) Awesome I have many questions as usual but uh, let's start off let's get a little bit of background you mentioned you're from the Mount in New Zealand what did you want to be when you grew up did you study how have you ended up in London (laughs) good big question Um, (laughs) so yeah I'm from the Mount
1: I went to Tanga Girls College did high school there and my family remain based in the Mount today Uh, I went on to study at AUT in Auckland and I did graphic design and advertising there so that's a three four year course um, during a summer break, a university break, I went to Sydney and Milan, so I started modelling um, on and off during my time at university and took that summer holiday as a an opportunity to go to Italy um so I based did myself you get, in how it
0: how did you get to Italy though sorry the questions have started already <laughs> <laughs> we won't drag um, this did, part how out how did I get to this Italy is, on a yeah 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 so what um, but did you was there was it like you get an agent and they go hey do you want to do your holidays in Italy
1: yeah so I had kind of dipped in and out of modeling uh I was I had an agent uh, in my later years of high school, and I was like, you know what, this is not really me. I don't want to pursue it full time. I want to go to university, and I had a pretty clear idea in my head, you know, of what I wanted to do for for my career. Um, and then I got to university, and I was working like three, four part time jobs all across the week. And I think it got to a point where my agent was like, look, there's a good commercial job. Why don't you do that? basically pay. pay while the
0: sun shines.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the opportunity became too great not to do one modelling job versus, you know, weeks or months worth of, worth worth of, of jobs. Ex- yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then because you have, you know, a considerable break from university across the summer, um, I was asked to go to Milan for what would have been like a four-week, four-, six-week four, six period. Um, And I had every intention to go back to uni and then nearing the end of that four to six week cycle, um, I started working for Gucci and it was a fit model job, um, something quite, you know, it was very casual and the director at Gucci at the time kind of indicated, you know, please don't go home and then there was a contract that came up which meant I had to consider staying in Italy for that year ahead and that ended up rolling on for three four years but what a cool I did
0: opportunity it. yeah so, um, it was like
1: completely out of the blue I yeah. think modeling it's it's a fickle industry and there's no guarantee so I thought cool I'll just do four okay. to six weeks um see what happens and then that kind of came up towards the end of my stay and for those kept... of us that don't
0: know anything about that kind of thing what is a fit model
1: um, so a fit model is when fashion houses need a body to fit their patterns and designs on so it's not an overly glamorous job um And as a model in Milan, you might have kind of a portfolio of clients where you've got high-end editorial. um, You might have some more commercial jobs, which are great for generating some income, a good income. And then you might do some odd Bob fit model jobs, which agents kind of like because they often lead you on to picking up the bigger jobs with the client as you get to know them. And I think it's quite an Italian way once you've worked with a client, you get to know them. They're happy to use you yes. for for better jobs. So that was the fit model part. And then the creative director, Frida, she... She was kind of coming up with a new collection. It was a period where e commerce was really taking off, so it was a natural merge into shooting all of their e com for their website. And you know, you have smaller collections throughout the year we might have autumn, winter, summer, spring, and then you've got resort or um, inter seasonal kind of collections. That I started shooting their lookbooks and they. Their smaller campaigns, um, and then obviously their fashion shows. So it went from a random fit model appointment job to, <laughs> to basically doing everything with them. Yeah.
0: Um, it must and, have been yeah. so interesting for you, as you obviously had aspirations outside of modelling for kind of business and design and things like their advertising to just see how those a business like that does work and
1: that was the fascination for me and it, as a model you kind of fly in fly out you go in you meet the crew that might be working on a photo shoot or on a film set and you don't really get to see the ins and outs of how they've uh, You know mapped out and conceptualized the collection and then like this magic that they spin to make that happen And it's a four to six month process Mm. leading up to Mm. a new collection launch So for me to be able to be there right from the the beginning of a collection to actually being in the final show as a designer or a creative that's that's what was so amazing for me to watch and would have um, and I'm sure
0: had so much input into what you're doing now so anyway you, you, <laughs> yeah, you keep like, me on track <laughs> yeah. yeah so you're in actually you've been you you're working for how long a couple of years
1: um, so I ended up being in Italy for a good part of three to four years. Um, but once, I mean, once you're based in Europe, you you can be booked on a job, you know, anywhere like really. Co- yeah, a couple of hours' flight to anywhere that you need to be on that on that given day. Um, so I did four years and based from Milan in Europe, and then I. Moved to Sydney, um, moved back to Sydney, and kind of started thinking. Well, actually, no, taking it back. I was in Florence. Gucci gave me a really good year annual outlook of dates that I might be required. My agency would book me up with other jobs on you know days that I had off, and then it got to the point where I was like, I need to. I want to do something for myself, and I want to study, and I want to... I know I'm not going back to New Zealand at this point, so what can I do here? And I landed um, with the decision that I wanted to study jewellery, which was inspired by some of the lead creatives at Gucci. Um, And I was based in Florence for a lot of that year, so I signed myself up to GIA, Gemology Institute of America's course, Studying Gemstones, Gemology
0: and Did you jewelry. just think look I'm here I've got this opportunity like I'm you know I am imagining that's a wonderful institute that you don't have necessarily in Auckland or you know so I'm, I'll make the most of it while I'm here exactly
1: and it's an American it's pretty much the most prestigious jewellery school well it is it's considered the most prestigious jewellery institute worldwide it's American and they've got hubs in London Dubai Florence at the time I think sadly they've closed that campus down um I was like it's an opportunity too good to be true or too, too good to pass up. So I put myself through um, that course and those studies while I was still working. And at that it. point,
0: were you just, was it, I'm going to do this because I want to start a jewellery line, or was it, I'm going to do this because I want to do something cool and creative um, in.
1: I mean, I was acutely aware of the expiration date you have as a model, and I started quite late, so I didn't go to Italy until I was 21, um, and, you know, I most love that, of the models. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you're working with women who are between 16 and 20 and I was kind of coming in on the older end of Of the spectrum and I was like, yeah I, I need to be doing something that I can move into that I'm passionate about whether it is based in Italy moving forward or You know, can I take that back to Sydney? So yeah with that education, I went back to Sydney Um, How
0: long was that course?
1: That course I did over a year. Wow. Um, It was all in English. I'm not going to claim that I had to do it in Italian. (laughs) Um, Did you love it? I did love it. It was in the old um traditional area of Florence so it was it was pretty incredible it's mm. not like going to uni it was you know some of the oldest buildings in Italy moments,
0: like Here yeah
1: and the chance. students were from all over the world so it was it was an amazing experience for sure yeah cool um, so
0: and then you went to sydney after that
1: yeah then i landed in sydney so my partner at the time was australian um And we, after, you know, five years, six years in Europe, we decided it was probably time to go back and grow up (laughs) maybe or (laughs) explore exiting, um, me me to explore exiting the modelling world. Um, So I started working, of course, as a model who's worked in Europe, returning to Sydney, there's there's a wealth of work there for you as well. So in that first year, it was... Finding my feet back there Modern jobs came kind of quite easily for that first year and helped me merge into what would be my career moving forward So I had a bridging year where I was doing both that and working part-time with a jewelry company Um, and then as the years went on I you know, took up more responsibility with that company uh, to the point where they asked if I wanted to come back to Europe and head up their European arm. Um, so they are an international production house, Australian Dome jewellery production house, and they had quite a big portfolio of European clients, which meant they so needed somebody. So do they make
0: jewellery for brands? Exactly. Right. Exactly, okay. yeah. 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 Oh, um, interesting. So is it, so that, okay, tell us about that job. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: So what can I tell you about that job? Um, So yeah, a production house for jewellery, Australian owned. They have an international clientele. They work a lot with um, Australian companies from commercial jewellery companies to more independently run jewellery brands um, and then they had an extensive part of their clientele based back in Europe. Um, So it might be that brands come in, um, you commercial brands, and pick from an existing range. So I started out as a product designer with them. So my responsibility was to design collections and then buyers from big commercial jewelry companies would come in and put together their collection that they would put in the catalog. And then you would have... On so, for New Zealand end. context,
0: would that be like? I mean, I'm not saying these would have been clients, but would you say, like, example, like your Michael Hills, your Stuart Dawson's, or whatever those? would those Exactly, a retail jeweller would go where you would use that company for this, 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 this. That exactly. Kind of right. Okay.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. And then other clients would be independent brands that um, do all of the creative design work themselves and simply go to a production house to help them manufacture some pieces or an entire collection. The European um, accounts that I looked after were anything from you know either end of the scale and yeah, ranging from people in Scandinavia to England, to Italy, to Spain, to yeah, interesting, a, okay. a breadth of style, yeah, uh, of styles and kind of ways of working with people.
0: I've had a couple. I don't know if you've heard them, but a couple of people um, from the beauty industry on the pod, and I again, I, I just didn't kind of realise that so much of the world. Is like that, you know. Like it's not just everyone making their own skincare and whittling away their own jewelry every time, you know. Like it just no, doesn't. No, and I think it
1: comes down to um, having the means. These, especially smaller brands, having the means to set up a fully functioning jewelry workshop where you've got equipment that might cost upwards of you know three hundred thousand for a specific machine that that does one thing only of the whole production chain. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's really and scale important there as
0: well, right? You know all Yeah, of those scalability things, like, for ease. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. one so then you can only make one type of thing for the rest of your life, you know, because you've been yeah. Exactly.
1: So it was it was quite cool to go from studying that as a paper or part of my course at GIA to then using that in real time and applying it, getting that great experience. So I was in that job for. Just over six years.
0: Where were you based then?
1: So I went from Sydney with that job to London. Oh, to Um, London. Yeah, so I continued with that job for another four or five years in London.
0: And during this time, are your ideas for Monarch starting to...
1: Bubble up, yeah. Bubble up. For sure. I was doing all of this work for other brands and you know you're under their kind of creative control um, and you have your own ideas about how you could potentially do it better or for me it was how could I make this more environmentally friendly or what's a more sustainable option here so you do start to ponder a lot of these concepts and in the end I was just like I'm going to take a leap of faith really and do it for myself Um, I guess
0: it'd be so you're a creative in your own right so it's it would be so hard to be in that position and work for a business like that and not to be like
1: yeah it's I think it's frustrating you feel constrained by you know somebody else's business which you you may eventually learn or discover why they've set kind of those boundaries or they have those constraints in place. But yeah, definitely towards the end of that employment, I was feeling pretty ready to do my own thing.
0: Cool. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about the journey to starting Monarch.
1: So, the journey to starting Monarch um, was we began in 2017 um, and there was still a period where i was in full-time employment um which obviously gave me some financial protection or buoyancy to kickstart a jewelry business which is not um not an expensive task um and the plan was to have that grow uh, organically while i was split between that 9 to 5 job and getting my own business off the ground um and I, I I wanted to trial it, so to have like a soft launch period of a year where I could kind of put my feelers out there and see what worked and what didn't. Um, so really fortunate in that regard. And then there's something to be said um, for not underestimating the word of mouth as a, su- a marketing superpower, especially in jewelry. So I knew I didn't want to do anything that was bordering on fashion jewelry or anything made from kind of cheap materials. I knew that I wanted to move into a world of fine and demi-fine. And I think when you work with fine jewelry, word of mouth and reputation is crucial to building your your clientele and your client base up. Um, so that was getting it off the ground in the first year and slowly building it up, which I you know we continue to do today, so it's not like we had a massive um of course we had a business plan, but it wasn't in my strategy. how do you to... even
0: start though like what do you so you so you it's bubbling away, bubbling away, you're probably i don't know drawing and cre- you know concepting mm-hmm. stuff and 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 that kind of thing. At what point do you go, Okay, I'm gonna do this? What do you do?
1: I mean I was I was doing a lot of the tasks of what I do now back then in my job. So you know, I had I was managing or across 21 accounts. So like for me to go, oh, I'm just the 22nd account. I'm going to chip away at that. <laughs> I was already doing a lot of the work. Um, so it was just putting aside extra time for me to do that for myself. Um, so yes, you are across all of the creative, when you're putting concepts together and exploring ideas for the collection, then you'll go through a period of development. So you have jewellery-specific software, which is also used for architecture and other industries called CAD CAM.
0: Oh, right. um, okay. So, so you use yeah.
1: CAD, yeah. 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 yeah, computer-aided drawings um, and making models through CAD CAM. Um, so there's a, there's a range of different processes you can take, but a lot of jewellery is done on CAD. Um You can use like traditional techniques of um, wax, kind of carving and casting and lost wax production. So, um,
0: did you you start with a collection? Like, did you just start with a small collection? I
1: did. I did. I put together a first catalogue based on. I mean, in a collection, you want things that you know are going to sell, you want some more hero kind of pieces that you know will be easy to get in to editorials and you know p r darlings that are going going to be picked up so i was it was easy for me to do those things because I was just doing it as a day to day task for others um when it came to production, I was working with a a workshop a team who, <laughs> you know come to feel like family and friends across the seven year period so if I needed somebody to help with the the modeling of it you know I can go to the best of the best in the workshop
0: that's so cool that so you kind of had support early on because they know you yeah and they are wanting to Total help you safety your net. friends and business colleagues and yeah that's yeah cool. so how many how many pieces in your first collection
1: um, I think we would have done
0: 60. Oh, so it's um, significant. Yeah, significant. Yeah. Um, and do you, how many of each of those – sorry, I love the detail. How many of each of those – how many units do you produce initially of that 60?
1: It, it's That's one of the hardest things to navigate and to decide on how many units to have. But you definitely want – to begin with, you want sample bags, so if uh, you know a magazine or a PR agent calls up, you want to have enough to be able to send those out yes. for photography um, or product loans, so have your bases covered there. Um, of course, you're going to sell a few units. I remember just relating this back to New Zealand. I think Viva did a brand profile, and there were a couple of pieces that orders came in very quickly for the pieces that they had spoken about and published in their magazine so that was really good you just you need to be covered but minimum order order
0: quantities so it's a significant that first collection was a significant investment financially for you right Yeah. to produce that and where did you how did you fund that did you fund that yourself
1: I did so we remain compl- well I fund everything still to date um <laughs> founder and owner um so that the responsibility falls on my shoulders so that
0: was just that savings, savings. Yeah, and, that was yep. personal savings.
1: And of course, having a great job with through modelling and being able to save up across those years enabled me to do that. You were um, your own
0: financial backer. I love it. Yeah, pay off your student loan. And yes. then, you know,
1: I focused on kind of having some financial means so, to but, set up it my was, own company. So it was
0: a serious business decision, obviously. You're making a significant investment. It's not, I'm gonna try this and see how it goes. You you need this to be And need it to work. To work. Yeah. So it, how, it how was did it launch the life decision?
1: Um so we launched definitely working with um a really great PR agent in New Zealand. Um she was able to do a lot of the legwork there and communicate with people on ground there bearing in mind I was still based in London. Was New Zealand
0: Um, your first market?
1: We did a soft launch there yeah so we trialed it for a number of months Um, it landed in a few magazines we got some really great great press um, off the back of using above ground diamonds which I can talk about a little bit later but Doing things a little bit differently um, meant that it was easier to launch into a market. Yeah. I mean, the market's saturated, so you need to be doing something a little bit different or...
0: It's great that you recognise the value of, and obviously I think probably it did help the industry you'd been in and the brands you'd been around, but recognising the value of PR and being willing to invest in that Right from the outset, because I think a lot of brands struggle with that concept because it is a financial outlay and you have to pay for it. It's also stuff. a full
1: time job. Yeah. I mean, I need yeah, well, to a one man band. I was not going to be able to take on the PR monster as well as everything else. So, and yeah, so much was- of
0: PR is personal relationships that the PR agencies have with the titles and trust and all that so I always admire businesses that recognize that that is an important part
1: Mm -hmm. of the process 100% 100%. Um,
0: cool so you launched in New Zealand soft launch and uptake was good
1: uptake was decent I I felt like I had legs for sure um and then Being here in London obviously meant that that's going to be a hub or a market for us as well. But in terms of scale, you compare New Zealand, which is, what, 5 million people? I mean, we're 66-plus million people in the UK alone. And then you've got tentacles reaching out to places like Germany or Italy, um, Scandinavia, so on and so forth so
0: after you had launched in New Zealand did you then go okay I'll replicate that I know on a small scale in the UK did you get a UK PR or I did
1: I did so um she's an amazing freelancer that was really helpful and again she doesn't work just with UK publications so it's more of a European blanket of of people that she works with
0: and was she a contact that you knew
1: she sent me a message on
0: Instagram. Right, she okay. was just She's like
1: such a delightful woman. And we just had a connection, caught up for a cup of tea in Hatton Garden, which is the jewellery area of London. And, yeah, she's just so so great at what she does and so lovely. So, um, no, I didn't know her prior. Just kind of connections. I mean, I am a Kiwi. I'm a foreigner in London. So, it does take a lot of extra work to catch up to a place where you might be with your network or contacts. If you were a Londoner or a British person setting up a brand here, so
0: I feel like it would be a, it's a great story for us here in New Zealand, like Kiwi girl done good in London. <laughs> you know, that's a nice story it's like I'm as, as well as yeah, yeah. But you know, like it's 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 this. Yes, there's some people doing great things, but it's it's still a unique story, you know. So over here, that's cool, right? And then, but then, is it also a unique story in the UK brand? Like, not just a, it's not just another British person; it's a Kiwi. Or does it have... I think
1: it does have a point of difference. It really does have a point of difference. Um, And I I don't think people overlook the fact that it does take more work to get yourself set up here as a foreigner Mm. and to bring something different to the table. So, yeah, there is some respect for that.
0: So how many collections have you released so far then? Um, We are not...
1: Well, I say we, me and the monarch team, me... um, I don't want to conform to a set number of collections a year. I think that's really, uh, it's becoming outdated. It's certainly not in line with my sustainability model for the business. Um, So we will release multiple drops across the year if I've been working on new designs that are relevant to seasons. But jewellery is a lot slower than fashion. So it's not like you need two to four collections a year. I mean, jewellery moves slower. I definitely want to convey that feeling of jewellery being timeless. It's so enduring, it's not, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. not trend-driven, um, and that's reflected in the amount of collections that we do put out every year. But, of course, there are shopping habits and, you know, things ebb and flow throughout that that calendar that we need to be aware of and be presenting perhaps some new fresh designs um at those times or ramping up our marketing um and doing a little bit more to to make it more of a discussion at relevant times of the year um so yeah not a set number of collections to date but we also work across um we have demi fine and then i have fine and an an element of the fine part of the business is bespoke so most of what I do is bespoke. A part of what we do is the demi-fine and that's what is, you know, basically seen or presented um, on the website and through shops. But
0: Because I was going to say the fine stuff, you're not going to be um, – that's pre-order or, you know, like you say, it's bespoke. You're not producing – Bulk of I hold necessary. I
1: hold a limited amount of fine pieces, um, you know, such as earrings and necklaces. But the rings are typically made to order, tailored to size. Where do you
0: hold all this? Not at home. I mean, safe. Actually, can we say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, look, I was thinking about um, you before this talk, and I thought that's the thing. Like you're dealing. It's not just like oh, chuck a few rings out the back. I'll get one for you, you know. You've got. Um, these are like expensive expensive pieces so
1: we had a studio um, we had a studio, we're based in Hatton Garden before COVID happened Um, I don't know people might know about the Hatton Garden heist etc but Hatton Garden is an area of London Yeah, where most of the UK's jewellery industry operate out of or work with particular suppliers or um, companies from there so I had I was renting a studio there, which was our normal place of operation prior to COVID, and it's well equipped to store jewelry and yes, jewelry right. materials. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's set yeah. up
0: set up for that. Okay, so what does the business look like today? Obviously, you've mentioned COVID, and we'll go into that a little bit more. But kind of you did have a studio but is it just you is there more in your team what does it look like so today we
1: are um the team is made up of four key staff and we've got hubs in new zealand so two staff there and me in london i had another team member with me in london um annabelle who has she's german she's moved home to berlin across the period of covid which has been a pretty fortuitous move because we are now going to set up and um take care of our european market from berlin um, right you know in, in light of brexit happening um so four of us and then I, through my production background, continue to work closely with um, a tight knit workshop team for the production of our actual jewelry. Um, so, yeah, that's basically the structure of the company as it is, uh, and we'll continue to, you know be across New Zealand, UK and Europe moving forward.
0: Cool. So tell me a little bit about the values and the ethos of the business. You've alluded a little bit to it, but I'd love to um, to talk about that more in depth. Yeah,
1: sure. Um, so Monarch uses precious metals ranging from recycled silver through to uh, 9, 14, 18 karat gold and platinum. Um, so it's kind of, the range of materials we use um, across our demi-fine and fine collections and then when it comes to stones um, we use above ground diamonds and alluvial stones which means it eliminates any need for mining of the earth to obtain your stones which is in line with um, my steadfast kind of commitment to sustainability. So there there have been a lot of self-imposed restrictions on materials that I use um, through that sustainable or ethical approach.
0: Um what is above ground diamonds then? Where so above ground diamonds is that a also known Christian? as No, no, <laughs> no, not at all.
1: Um above ground diamonds or lab-made diamonds. So right. they are okay. an atomically identical material. It's a it's a diamond. So basically you're taking a diamond seed, a very fine sliver of diamond and in an environment of immense pressure and heat. So in a foundry or a lab, you can mimic what happens deep, deep down in the earth's core. And diamond is, as a material, is carbon. So the crystalline structure of carbon starts to form into a diamond. Um, So it's atomically identical it is the same material. You're simply changing the environment it's in which it's created. In in which it's created. Um, so that is above ground lab made diamond. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we turned. Well, I turned my back on earth diamonds from. It was 2018. I wasn't really using diamonds as I launched, but when it came the time to start producing. A lot more fine jewelry I turned my back completely on earthmine diamonds um which is off the back of just wanting to place responsibility and transparency I think at the forefront of of monarch's principles I didn't feel comfortable working with earthmine diamonds mm-hmm. I'd worked with them a lot in my previous job and it didn't fit well um with my with personal what morals with you wanted the brand
0: to be in the ethos yeah exactly um
1: and then, as I touched on before, we use 100% recycled certified precious metals, um, so that's also eliminating the need to use any earth-mined materials. Um,
0: so what does that mean? Do uh, production companies kind of, are they able to access metals to yeah, recycle? so
1: bullion is what yeah. we call raw raw materials um, my particular source is recycling discarded um, precious metals we, you might have old jewellery it's collected, right. it's refined, recycled and refined back to its workable state it's so, so you'll cool. have silver gold and platinum um, ready to be reused again and mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, I, basically every decision that Monarch makes, I, I need it to be rooted in, in good intention. Um, so from that process of procuring materials um, all along the production chain and we can all feel good about the jewellery that yeah, we wear. That that, that so was cool. the most important thing in kind of three simple steps has for that, the business.
0: Has, you sort of talked about your kind of personal values but you mentioned your personal values before so that has obviously been um you knew right from the beginning that that you wanted yeah. to translate that
1: yeah if if that wasn't going to be the narrative or direction for the company that I created then I didn't want to do it right. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable creating a business if it wasn't going to be that way inclined yeah um,
0: Yeah, that's cool. And it's so great that more and more younger businesses are taking that approach. You know, you you would hope that in 50 years the business landscape will look differently, fingers crossed, if there's more, who knows. What have been your biggest highlights then over the last four years? What's been your proudest monarch moments where you've gone, I think...
1: Um, I mean, I can't le I can't think of anything that was really a pivotal point or, or a massive highlight. But um, from an educational point of view, it's the little learnings that I value the most. Things that you only realise or experience. Um, but seeing products on people that I don't know is always a kick. <laughs> so, you know, it- Somebody's gone into a store and picked that out of their own free will, and you know that means something to them. Whatever that means, I'm sure it's different to what it meant to me as I was designing it. But seeing your product being worn on the street, or have
0: you have you seen anyone in the wild, or have you seen more people that have like loved these new? earrings tag them on instagram or something like that i have seen people in the wild i have (laughs) um yeah so
1: more so in new zealand because it's a lot smaller and then people maddie often my sister will send me a message saying oh so-and-so said they really loved monarch and then she's like oh that's my sister's company (laughs) it's like it's it's nice to know that people uh, aware of the brand without um, being told Knowing through the community or, a, or yeah yeah so i think that's really lovely but no, i can't really think of any grand particular moment that's been a huge highlight it's just made up of little learnings and incredible experiences along the way
0: have you mm-hmm. got a piece is there any piece or pieces that you particularly love
1: I have a. I had a personal kind of side project where my partner and I would holiday in Montenegro and there is an antiques dealer there. So you'd drive down this tiny little single lane road um, and he had an antique store, which is just overflowing with everything dusty, obviously hundreds, thousands of years old. And he had an incredible coin um, cabinet. So... Personally, some of my favorite pieces were using those and setting them in a different way or setting them on a chain and bringing the old world into the new world. Um, That was my my favorite personal project. But um, my bespoke babies are the most kind of special to me. There's so much energy and time that goes into creating one-off one-off designs and yeah, an enormous uh, human element. Or I think there's so much interaction that you have to have with a with a client for a bespoke project. So that's the most exciting.
0: Cool. Actually, um, going kind of going back a little bit. So after the the initial launch, how do you how do you get your word out? How do you market on a kind of Friends and family to begin with.
1: And I'm lucky that I'm of the age where a lot of friends are getting married. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, many of those friends talk to their extended group of friends. So word of mouth is so vital at that point. And I think I touched on earlier, reputation is you can't underestimate, Mm -hmm. you know, that is a marketing power. So Mm -hmm. if somebody's had a really good experience with you, they might tell five other friends who are of an age or at a time considering you know to to take on an engagement or a wedding um
0: outside of pr do you do any traditional advertising or social advertising or anything like that
1: yeah i i do and that came into play more and more when we embarked on campaigning more about the above ground diamonds um it is such a niche market it was a really positive response when I launched our first Above Ground commitment collection, commitment being engagement, marriage, whatever commitment may look like to to an individual. Um, but like you said, it's it's a really important aspect of modern business. And there there's a group of clients, there is a demographic that, that speaks so loudly to, and it's really important. So... I think through doing that and through doing something different, it meant that publications were happier to write about you um, yeah. or you stick out a little more than everybody else that's using earth, mine Diamonds.
0: You're definitely, from what I've read and seen and and also from what you're talking about, your, your brand and your business is definitely speaking for itself, right? Like you're, you're building a brand... More than an aggressive marketing saturated yeah. strategy Which I Long guess means that hook. you grow a little bit smaller Or it might not be, you know, scattergun approach But it's it's growing that really strong brand and community that love your brand Yeah, and I,
1: a lot of what we do is, is not scattered all over social media I think, you know, doing Bespoke is such a private... private thing and it's it's really a representation of the individual and i know a lot of people don't want that published all over social media they don't want (laughs) 10 more clients calling me tomorrow to say can i have that same ring ring. um yeah so i try to be really respectful of that and not show or showcase any of those private designs um so i feel i mean obviously that's such a huge marketing loss but the respect is so much more important for me to uphold.
0: But like you say, then then the word of mouth is probably worth more because the people are going to see that jewellery and that's similar to scattering it across social media. People are going to see that and, yeah. Oh, and another question I had actually, and then we'll we'll keep moving, (laughs) is I have seen that you've done a couple of collaborations Mm-hmm. One with Renee Stewart, who is Rachel Hunter's daughter, and then another one with... Lolita. Yeah. have you do- So have you done a few collaborations now, and is that a sort of an ongoing strategy? It is an ongoing
1: strategy. Um, so I try to set myself the goal of carrying out one collaboration a year, um, and it doesn't have to be released at a certain point in the calendar or at a certain for a certain season, Um, but the Renee Stewart collaboration was through a mutual friend. Um, We were both in London, you know, situated pretty closely to one another. She would pop into my studio that I had at the time, um, and we just designed a little collection together. Um, I think our approach to styling and fashion is, is pretty similar. We're both pragmatic she's a dancer she's very active we like our jewelry to work for our lifestyles Um, so that was a really lovely and easy and organic kind of process to follow for the creation of our small collection and then the following year I did a collection with um, Lolita Mice who is also a stylist she works across the realm of blogging um instagram she was working at farfetch at the time um for the high net worth client styling private private styling uh, department um and then we've got two more collections that i need to launch before i have this baby <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: i'm feeling the pressure yes. now yeah. um one is a hair collection um cool. so Pins and brats and hair styling uh, pieces that I don't want to feel too fussy, they're just really easy to use, beautiful, timeless designs um, that I hope you know people can use now and in 10, 15 years' time. Um, so we're merging into hair pieces, and that is through another connection, a New Zealander who owns um, a salon here called Glasshouse. So again, we have very similar outlooks in our approach to business. She places great importance on sustainable hair care, um, environmentally product, environmentally friendly product. And then another collection is with a British woman who's living in Mount Monganui. I think she's still in the mount at the moment, or she's recently moved up to Auckland. Um, we've got a small collab coming out um, mid-year as well. Cool. Do you <laughs>
0: approach people based on an idea you have had, or do they approach you?
1: I've approached one out of those four um, collaborations, but I think it's really lovely when you come together seamlessly and it just feels natural. I think you have your gut instinct, as you know, it's going to work better when it, ha- it happens that way. Some of those people have introduced themselves, but other, otherwise we'll know each other already.
0: Collabs are such a great way. They've got so many benefits to a brand, right? Like it's a creative, you know, sort of a whole creative journey that's not, you know, it brings another whole element. It's a great kind of marketing promotion tool, but it's, I guess it would just keep you on your toes. You're not just doing the same thing. and And you're reaching a slightly
1: a slightly different Different market yeah yeah yeah. exactly I have a small audience that follow Monarch or enjoy Monarch products and you know Renee's a dancer obviously she's got um, very well-known parents and she's an amazing dancer in her own right and she has her particular audience and Lolita is um from Europe you know you just you extend uh, your reach
0: yeah that's cool I think it's a great strategy I don't mean that in a like strategic well I do mean it in a as a strategy but I think it it's adds just such a great element to a business so next question what have been your biggest challenges so far
1: um trading internationally I think that comes with its challenges. It can be tricky. Um I've always maintained I want Monarch to be across New Zealand and the UK primarily, um, which means splitting the business in two. Um and now with Brexit <laughs> splitting the business into three. Um and Each country has its own way of working across wholesale and retail and it has its own vibe, it has its own style. People have a difference in opinion on fashion and what they like, of course, across those regions. And it also means that Monarch's splitting its processes and strategies uh, across three places, really, to be relevant and tailored to serve that that market. Um, So I think yeah, trading internationally is difficult. Um, more I guess difficult, it would just keep recent. you on
0: your toes constantly, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: I guess and time zones. Yes. Like it comes down to stuff like time zones, and then, you know, you're really starting to feel tired after eight pm, and you know you've got a solid three, four hours ahead of calls with New Zealand that might be opening up. Um, so it's. Yeah, even energy, energy and time zones can be hard.
0: And for you, because it's your business, it is, you're wearing a lot of hats, right? You're finance, CEO, marketing, you know, all of the things. So it means that you have to be distribution, you know, you've just got to be aware across everything.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, But also being pregnant, it was a massive gear change. It was like you speeding along in fifth gear and it's like, we're just going to pull that right back. (laughs) You cannot continue doing these hours and um, have the same expectations. But on that note, having a great team, it's of immense value. You cannot underestimate having the right people in the right place helping you along the way.
0: Yeah, and like you say, I mean, being across those different territories, you couldn't do it without other people. It just would be impossible. No. So the C word. You're you're different to all of my other guests to date because you are the one guest that I can't go, aren't we so lucky to be living in New Zealand? Because you're not. (laughs) Like, you have actually truly... Lived in a COVID world for the last year Being based in London What has been the impact for you So far and You know, how's it going?
1: So I think I said before we started recording We've just come up And surpassed our one year anniversary (laughs) Of Pretty much consistent lockdown Um, You know, scaling Throughout the different tiers of lockdown Um, It's been Hard for sure Um. But I think it's also allowed people and business owners to have a period of reflection. And I would say for myself, um, a time to clarify the business um, and through an experience of slowing down, it's enabled me to take stock of like where the business is at and where I want to head. So purifying the essential getting rid of things that are no longer relevant I think businesses will have to operate in a bit of a different manner coming out of lockdown moving forward structures have changed needs have changed so it's yeah it's been difficult but I think there have been so many positives um that have informed how we need to move forward
0: Mm. and you mentioned you had a studio in Hatton Garden did you give that up during this COVID? Yeah, so I lease. was lucky
1: enough that I wasn't locked into a lease mm. um, so I could forego that at the beginning of lockdown. So I think I held on to it. And I was paying a monthly rent on that for for a few months after lockdown was announced like everybody else not knowing how long it was going to go on for we'll be
0: back by (laughs) August or yeah
1: um so no I I no longer have the need to go into the city
0: anymore um you you are having a baby will you get the studio back eventually do you think or has it changed for you
1: um, I will need a premises to, to operate out of again. Um, so we're set to come out of lockdown. Um, non essential business will open up mid April. Um, and hopefully, everything is done and able to be forgotten by June. Apparently, the world restarts for Bruce yes. from <laughs> June. Um, yeah, so it, it's hard to set goals at the moment because people who have set goals, or I know for myself, if I've had an idea, it's had to be very flexible. Otherwise, it results in disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, but all in all, I think COVID has been an amazing period f- to enable branding exercises to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm thankful for that rather than being resentful of it. But it, it has been incredibly hard and incredibly monotonous and there's been you know financial loss yeah. and it's been an emotional roller coaster so oh, I
0: bet. yeah yeah Tough. absolutely um, oh well hopefully first yeah. of june life's just gonna well it's not gonna go first of june for for you. To be i was gonna say yeah you, you've got a whole other thing you're gonna be dealing with I'm it, going outside from, like, of the, so,
1: yeah, some form of lockdown to another <laughs> yeah yeah at least you know lockdown. what you're doing now
0: Being yeah. um who or what have been the biggest influences in your work your business
1: in my work um I mean I think I came into this position with my own creative influences but it's been more having um unofficial mentors I suppose so working for a company where you may learn um you know, a great deal of knowledge from owners and CEOs and watching them and their approach to running a business. Um, So I would say, yeah, unofficial mentors have been my biggest influences recently and to date. Um, And just, yeah, different approaches. Some people are really hard-nosed and quite tough in their position of CEO or managing director. And then some people just take it all in their stride and do it so beautifully and, you know, with a great deal of kindness. So just taking and observing and um, watching how I, I can, can do that in people. my own way.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And what's the best business advice you've received and or what business advice would you pass on?
1: I think this actually came from my dad and in times where you might be a little bit lost or you just think it's all piling up and it's really hard, just look at it as character building. You know, take it and embrace it, and it's only really going to in turn strengthen you as an individual or your company. So almost invite that hardship and those hard tasks and just look at it as character building.
0: Yeah. I was actually having a conversation with a friend today on challenges and I just said, I, I always look at it like, think of it for your memoir. <laughs> think of it as something that you'll tell later on as, as a story of what you did, what you faced and how you got through it. So a similar kind of vibe.
1: Another one that popped up recently was, um, uh, what was I doing? I was doing some Q and A's for a magazine, um, that comparison is a thief of joy. So it's – I've always tried really hard not to play the comparison game and, you know, which means that I rely a little bit more on independent thought or wholly on independent thought and my gut instinct because if you just go out there and you're looking at what everybody else does and what other – Companies might be progressing with Or if you focus too much on them It's only detracting from you And your company And your your valuable time um, So yeah, comparison Is the thief of joy in my I opinion. think that's
0: great business advice Because I know that um, Quote from a personal You know, like just a personal life philosophy Of not comparing yourself to others But it's critical in business Because it's so mm-hmm. Easy to either I mean, especially in this world where everyone just seems to rip off everyone constantly. Mm-hmm. There's that, but also that, you know, comparing yourself to where another business it could be destroying if you let it.
1: Yeah, I think it's destructive. It takes away so much rather Mm. than, um, I think people actively go out, you know, comparing themselves, thinking it may give them some sort of knowledge or direction, but I think it's the complete opposite. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. So what advice would you give to someone wanting to follow in your footsteps?
1: Um hard really really hard to give a paint by numbers kind of response to that but i think having a flexible business plan um in light of what's happened in the last year you need to remain really flexible and really agile so don't focus 200 percent on a really strict business plan um coupled with uh, specific to the jewellery industry Keeping a close eye on cash flow mm. um, Cash flow is definitely king If you're going to be working across Precious metals and precious stones um, Financial forecasting So valuable um, Buying and trading gold and diamonds Definitely needs some some ongoing management And a close did eye Did you
0: learn all that through work? Is that what set you up? In I that did respect? So
1: yeah, my job um, going back to the international production house—that um, was part of my job, sales and kind of keeping an eye on the accounts and it's like full obviously
0: business university. Eh? Yeah, it
1: was. It, I think you know I learn so much more from that time on the job than I did through my studies Um, and then being so closely linked to the team in in the workshop, knowing the value of time and labour and materials. Um, So I I think it would therefore be really hard for somebody who hasn't had that experience.
0: I was going to say industry experience obviously in your situation has been – critical in terms of running a business it's hard i don't
1: know of a company kind of that big in in new zealand i mean this is an australian-owned company working across australia asia and in europe so i'm i'm not sure where you could kind of go for that same work experience in new zealand um
0: for me it meant going abroad to learn it so okay what's the future for Monarch we've talked a little bit about this um, in terms of collabs and in terms of your own personal situation you're about to have your first baby but for the business and for you what are your plans that you want to share?
1: So my plans are obviously putting a little bit more trust or a lot more trust um, in the team um, so handing the baton over in many ways to existing core staff um, And growing it. I mean, we're at a stage where we've got strategies and processes in place, and I feel comfortable with those. So it's growing that across the three locations. Um, I really, at the moment, we're working hard on our communication strategy for sustainability, as I think that is such an overarching theme, and it's so important to get that communication right. People, people will come and search out what they want to take, um, and I hate to think that we would ever be preachy, but I think having um, access to information is really important for your B2C strategy. Um, so, yeah, the team is working on that at the moment to make sure that we can present that in the best way possible. Um, to That's so been
0: important as well because even just hearing you speak, I just didn't even consider that anything like that mm. when I got my engagement ring or it's actually mm. the only precious jewellery I've got. But, you know, like <laughs> it, you, I just wouldn't have... And then as you were talking, I do remember my best friend's engagement ring is a lab diamond. And I remember her telling me at the time or an above ground diamond going, oh, it's actually this and this is what it means. So, yeah, it is good to keep educating people because most of us lay people don't really know... About that, and we're not,
1: you know, Monarch as a business is not your local jewellery shop um, that you know you can go to between nine and five, Mm. and you kind of know what you can you can get from them. I think as a modern brand, communication has to be such a huge point of focus. Yeah. Um, Yes, we make jewellery, but unless you are intelligent with your communication, then you kind of just become another another brand or yeah. another jewellery shop selling yeah. jewellery. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, communication is a huge part of, of our future plans, um, but I also need to learn, I'm aware I need to learn how to manage having a baby and a family and running a business. So I'm sure the next couple of years are going to look a little bit different to what they have been
0: recently. And there'll be a lot of figuring it out along the way as well, right? <laughs>
1: I think so, and I think I need to set myself boundaries because I know I'll probably want to get back on email and start working again, you know, several weeks after having a baby. So I'm going to be quite strict <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, totally. and set boundaries for myself. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: cool. What are you passionate about besides Monarch?
1: Besides Monarch and besides jewellery? Yeah. Um, travel which I think I've <laughs> focused more and more on during lockdown um I've traveled a lot in in my 20s um so I think it's built into who I am I really missed that I think one of the main novelties of living in London is being able to travel so easily you jump on a Ryan airplane or a Jetstar flight and you can be anywhere in the space of two hours um So that was a huge part of why I wanted to be based in London. Um, Yeah, learning about new cultures, travel. Mm. I miss travel I miss that the most. Yeah. I know. (laughs) And even being able to travel home to New Zealand. Yeah. I I think that's been hard. Mm. Normally I'd get back, you know, once or twice a year and that's been difficult. Yeah.
0: Well, hopefully again we'll just all appreciate it that much more and you'll appreciate it traveling with a tiny little baby which is an adventure in itself and a great one actually I have to say so what does success look like to you personally professionally or both um
1: I think if you'd asked me this in my 20s I would have given you a very 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 different response um but now, with the mindset I have today, um, I'd like to continue growing Monarch Jewelry um, into a business that has a sense of harmony with my lifestyle, my my teens' lifestyles, and our customers alike. Um, so I would like for Monarch to be a business that echoes and includes life's important factors. Um, and I think really great modern businesses do that successfully um and of course going back to our key values and ethos is doing that in a way where you're not forsaking the environment or f- for commercial gain um so that's always going to be a really strong narrative for the company um but yeah I, I think I use it as a yardstick of a if business starts to take away from fundamental things in life it's it's a flag and it Kind of pulls me up and tells me I need to change the structure of of monarch and how um, how that relates back to success.
0: Cool. Hey Ella, that's the last of my big questions. Um, <laughs> I. I feel like there's still so much more I would love to know and ask you, but maybe that can be, like, part two. When or, I see you in the mouth. Yes, yeah, yeah re, re- New revisit Zealand. Monarch in two years' time and we'll catch up. I'd love and, that. You know, but um, I just, it's been so cool. I, I, I mentioned to you before we started that I had deliberately not um, read or, explored too much because i just wanted to hear about the business directly from you and and it's been such a great um story it's so glamorous to me (laughs) i'm like (laughs) i'm like love it kiwi living in london jewelry diamonds you know it just sounds i can assure you (laughs) it is
1: lots of hard work as you know with any industry Yeah. yeah
0: yeah and actually like i said and then i start to go diamonds where do you store them that must cost a lot of money so I I totally appreciate what hard work it is for you so the last little bit of the pod as you will have heard is my quickfire faves Mm -hmm. I feel like you'll bring a different element to this being on the other side of the world so you know you know how it goes and so we'll just start what app for business and or life do we need I quickly
1: looked up what I've been using recently last night before I went to bed and I think I'm going to bore you and your audience to tears with my response (laughs) um I think you know business you've got stuff like Instagram later live chat Facebook WhatsApp and by the time I've cycled through all of those things as a necessity I just I don't even want to look at my phone I'm happy to leave it on my desk um but for life, um, I am nearing the end of my pregnancy. So I've been using a Pregnancy Plus app, being you know, my first my first rodeo. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been really helpful. And not having um, – like we don't have NCT antenatal groups able to ha- be happening at the moment. Yeah. So it's been a lot of independent research. And mm. my sister and my mum are on the other side of the world. And, you know, you can – Keep in touch and discuss things. But I think having the Pregnancy Plus app has been really helpful and interesting. And yeah, some boring apps like pedometers.
0: <laughs> Sorry for the it. uninspiring. Maybe answer. not quite as glamorous as I was hoping, but that's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, No, no, it's all good. What have you watched lately that we must see?
1: Heaps. Um, years worth of lockdown has meant lots of. Um, Netflix, uh, Amazon movies, everything. Um, but I did jot down, I loved, I think Netflix is slightly different between London, players, between yeah. the UK and New Zealand. So I don't know if all of these are relevant, but I loved. there was a program called Unorthodox, which is about a Hasidic Jewish woman um, who was living in Brooklyn with the larger Jewish community there and she fleed to... Berlin yes
0: um, I've that was seen am- that and I forgot to watch it
1: amazing that's reminded me
0: yeah okay good I
1: absolutely love that and then um my partner Pierre and I we did Anthony Bourdain for the first six months of lockdown his yes. unknown parts uh where he traveled you know every series is a new country um I think it's about six years old now that mm. series um but just getting to travel and live vicariously through through his incredible travel and his sense of humor. I mean, he's pretty dark and sarcastic and dry, which strikes a chord with me. So I loved, yeah, Unknown Parts with Anthony Bourdain, um, Ricky Gervais, from his extras to Afterlife.
0: I've just finished a couple of months ago Afterlife. I put it off for so long and then I watched it.
1: It was an emotional yeah. roller coaster. Yeah. How he gets, you know, such sadness and such joy all crammed into ten love minutes. Love him or um, hate him, you
0: know, some people really don't get his humor or struggle with him. But that is a—he's a clever man, and that is a clever series. Yeah, yeah. So, I did love Afterlife. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and I think another one that came to mind was Call My Agent, which is the French series i think it's called 10 percent in french if we're using the french name but yeah call my agent was you know some light-hearted fun i have also been needed.
0: recommended that and my goal is to watch it because i'm such a multitasker that i struggle and i, I have been putting it off because i need to watch the subtitles so it means i need to focus on the program and not do everything else Pass.
1: Yeah, that's what's really good about it, because otherwise I'm, you know, scrolling through emails, Instagram on the side, no doubt driving peer mental, um, stop eating and just focus on the show.
0: (laughs) Okay, outside of this podcast, which podcast do you never miss?
1: Podcasts have been a lifeline, well, I've been working in the studio alone, um, offline, which is with Alison Rice, an Australian uh, woman. And, you know, she kind of covers honest conversations, exploring topics of true self, career, identity. Um, I do love offline. I miss the high low, which ended earlier this year with Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes. Um, still trying to fill that void. Um, Closer to home, I love New Zealand podcasts. Um, obviously Yours and Fashion and Focus, which is run by Murray of Showroom yes. twenty-two. Yeah. Um, and Business is boring. I find business is boring right, hosted by well. Simon Pound, who's a friend. I find that really interesting. And you know, he he interviews such a a wide range of business people and yeah, kind of new initiatives mm.
0: It must be so nice for you actually Just listening to the Kiwi voice Just because it would make you feel like home It is, it really is
1: Especially when you miss people It's it's nice to tune in and hear yeah. A familiar
0: <laughs> accent What should we read next?
1: It's been a while since I've read a book um, Well, several months But when... I had some more time. I read uh, Yuval Noah Harari's books, which are Homo Deus and Sapiens. Oh, so, Sapiens first, yes, okay. and then I think the, the next one was Homo Deus, um, where he discusses the history of humankind in great detail, covering the span of our existence. Um, you, but yeah, I found. you are a slightly Harari's deeper novels.
0: than I am, but um, for my listeners. <laughs> I, have I couldn't recommend books. them
1: more. Okay. They are really really fantastic books by yeah, Yuval Noah Harari. Okay,
0: great. This one we when we're in your town, your city, where should we go in a non-covid world to eat or drink?
1: Um, I don't actually know that a lot of these places are going to be there when we come out of lockdown, but for a treat, um, there's some really amazing dining experiences. I'm a vegan myself, so it kind of narrows down your options a little bit. Um, per and I went recently to a place called Perilla, uh, Perilla in Stoke Newington, and they specialize in mushrooms, so hen of the woods, kind of massive, beautiful mushroom dishes, and you've got a degustation menu. Um I really missed the wine pairing aspect of it The last time I went um, There's just so much in London One of I was going to say, only menu. in
0: London Can you have a restaurant that specialises in mushrooms It's like these but big then, cities that have this wealth of stuff
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, the pub is fantastic yes, You yeah. always have a great time No, the I pub, just love it I good love the
0: big cities... Allows for that because you know, when, <clears throat> in the smaller places I mean, they've got all got their pros and cons, but it's, it's cool that you can go to a little restaurant that specializes in mushrooms, you know, or you know, has signature dishes or yeah, called-
1: and there's um, there's quite a rise, obviously, not with people, chefs coming into homes at the moment, but. Um, there are a lot of options where you can have a chef come in and cook a meal for a small group of friends, which is lovely because you don't have that table service yes. turnover. Yeah. You don't have a sense of having to kind of finish up sooner than you, than you mm. might want to. So I do love the um, private in-house dining experiences as well.
0: In the travelling world, what's your favourite hotel or holiday home recommendation? Near offer. <laughs>
1: Near or far? Um, I've done less and less hotels. When I was modelling, I did hotels most nights, so I was quite happy not to have to do that again. Um, But with the rise of places like Airbnb or smaller boutique hotels, um, I love Airbnb. You can kind of set yourself up. You have more space. You can go away with a group of friends. You know, you can spend lots of money or just a little money on Airbnb accommodation. Um, Pear and I go to Montenegro each year, so you've got some gorgeous options there where it's um, kind of situated around the Bay of Couture. Um, So you've got homes that are very traditional old stone homes. I would guess they may be... 500 years old and it will go from roadside down to like a private villa where you go into the water um so i think places like that they're just so much more whimsical and beautiful yeah. and inspiring um than perhaps a hotel
0: is yeah for sure yeah. <laughs> oh, i just want to go back okay final <laughs> question where do you get your insta inspo who are your favorite creative follows
1: I use Instagram less and less, um, maybe just a phase I'm going through, but at the moment we are doing a house renovation imminently and I've always loved renovating homes. Um, so I think architects or interior designers, there's an architect who's super relevant to the renovation I want to do called John Pawson. Um, he he has a beautiful aesthetic and an interior designer, um, Axel Vervoort, mm. who is uh, from Holland, the Netherlands, which yeah. is part of my heritage as well. So I really love his style and his aesthetic. It feels familiar, kind of similar to what maybe my grandma, how she sets up her house. Um, he's also quite well known for his wabi-sabi yes. style. yeah. Yeah. Um, See, I think cycling through more architectural digest, not really, not really jewellery um, related, but more lifestyle interiors. I think I, I get most joy from those sorts of accounts.
0: Yeah, cool. Mm. Yeah, no, I hear you with the Instagram as well. It's increasingly becoming, it's almost like we're just, we're oversaturating ourselves mm. now to the point that you just, you're scrolling so fast you're not even seeing things half the time.
1: Anything commercial, I just feel put off. Mm. And I, I take that idea into Monarch's Instagram as well. Is mm. I don't want to present products where it's just done in such a commercial mm. way. I'd rather it be a discussion about lifestyle or the story. Um, yeah, I don't want it to feel like it's just... A retail environment as soon as as soon as I feel like I've landed in that kind of space of Instagram I'm just really put off by it
0: hey thank you so much thank um, you I have loved our conversation <laughs> um it's so exciting as I said before to hear your story especially living not in a Kiwi living somewhere else and um I'm very excited to see what Monarch do in the future Thank you, thanks for staying up late as well I know time's ticking on (laughs) I really loved hearing Ella's story of course I was interested about her model life who wouldn't be but I was even more intrigued about Monarch working with Precious Gems building a brand and launching a business in and from London and all of the details and logistics that go about selling jewellery and Precious Gems around the world It was just so interesting. And before this episode, I didn't know Ella personally, but I'm friends with her lovely sister Maddie. And when I heard about Maddie's sister in London with a glamorous jewellery brand, my interest was piqued. As I'm recording this intro, Ella is a couple of weeks away from having her first baby. And as this episode goes live and will be released, that little baby will be here. So Ella, if you are listening, I am wishing you all the very best from here in New Zealand. To check out Monarch's beautiful and timeless jewellery, visit monarchjewellery.com. And on Instagram, you can find Ella at monarch underscore jewellery. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to hear what you think about the podcast and if you wanted to tell your friends about Super Creative, I would just be ever so grateful. If you'd like to keep listening, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you wanted to rate and review, that would be amazing. For more information, find us at Super Creative Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Bye. Oh, e